Hi, it's Helen Hebert with Paper Talk, and I'm in Minneapolis. It's July 10th, 2016, and I'm here at Amanda Dagener's studio. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Helen. It's great to be here. Um, I'd like to just ask you first to tell me how you got interested in paper. What was the spark? I think that paper just picked me, and I, I really feel that that's what happened. I mm -hmm. mean, I, my drawing class went to visit Ken Noland, who was a famous painter in the 60s, did like ton of Target paintings. And your drawing class where? At Bennington College. Okay. And um, the Sophie Healy took, you know, it was her class, she took us there, so she had the foresight to plan this field trip. We each got to make one sheet of paper, and we were, the idea was we would get to draw on this handmade paper. And it, people talk about, you know, oh, I saw my future husband across the room, and we fell in love, or whatever. And that's exactly what it was like. Like, I put my hands into the paper bag, I pulled out the sheet, and I was like, oh, my God. I mean, like, it was like literally my life would change from making one sheet of paper. And wow. my whole senior show in uh, college switched. You know, like I, there was an old hydropulper down in the basement, like in the sub-sub-basement. Uh-huh. That this secretary just said, oh, well, by the way, there's this garbage can kind of thing. So I went and found it and dusted it off and brought it into the sculpture area, which was really the history of Bennington was sculpture, welded metal sculpture. David Smith taught there. Isaac Whitkin taught there. I mean, it was like, like blacksmithing tradition, the guys and Amanda Degner with a paper pulper, you know, like trying to keep it clean, you know. So it was like I was the anomaly for sure, uh -huh, uh -huh. as usual, making these large-scale sculptures with handmade paper, you know. And I didn't really have any teachers, like literally. like te I was just kind of playing with the material. And so were you studying just fine arts or were sculpture in particular? Did you uh, have a focus? I was w working with clay, uh -huh. I became very frustrated by the limitations of scale. Mm -hmm. I had a whole year's worth of work kind of explode in the mm -hmm. kiln, mm -hmm. which was, in retrospect, good, yeah. but frustrating at the time. So when I got my hands in the pulp, there was the same handled materiality. So clay, you know, you touch the material, and every inch of it has the sense of your hand. Right. And the paper was the same as that, whereas in sculpture, you know, a metal, okay, here's this metal beam, and I'm making a decision about the size, but I'm not handling the material. Right, and so it's interesting. So you made a sheet of paper, uh -huh. and did you just on your own, like, think, well, I could work sculpturally yeah. with this? Yeah, mm -hmm. and I just, I was kind of using it in a very simple way. I was making these wood things and I was staple gunning chicken wire to them and I was throwing the pulp on a la spitball uh -huh. you know so I mean it wasn't very sophisticated at that time and what was the pulp it was just cotton you uh -huh. know whatever I could find you right. know some recycled right. and I was using cement dyes I didn't really know anything and what year was this oh About? back in the 80s 1980s okay yeah a long time ago uh-huh um and so then so then I the the scale was so exciting, so I, my whole senior thesis show was large-scale sculpture with handmade paper, and I used the s images of those to apply to graduate school, Okay. and I was accepted, one of six students accepted at Yale in the sculpture department, and Winifred Lutz was teaching there, 
and mm-hmm. she's particularly skilled at paper and paper sculpture. And, and so, so did you, and you knew that in applying to Yale? Yeah, that's a whole other great story, <laughs> you know. It's, um, I um, needed to earn money to go to grad school. I was a December graduate, so I had a, a long okay. period of time before I was going to go to school. Right. So wait, I'd always heard waitressing was a good way to go, and my very good friend was a waitress. So she said, well, I can get you a job, you know. So I moved to Bernie, Texas to waitress. Okay. And I was waitressing six nights a week, and I wasn't really thinking about art very much. I was just earning money and keeping it in my butter container in the right. refrigerator, you know. I was like... All these, you know, it was just a real eye-opener to live in Texas. I never lived in a place like that, in a small town in Texas. And uh, there was a sign up that said, Winifred Lutz will give a talk. And I was like, woo, woo, wait, wait, that's the person I want to work with. And it was like, I'm in Bernie, Texas, you know, like, what, you know? Right. So I kind of go over to this person at in this this area, and I said, I just see the sign that Winifred Lutz is giving a lecture. And she goes, I'm Winifred Lutz. So the person I happen to talk to. And she goes, they were supposed to be students helping me make this installation, and they haven't shown up. And I said, well, I'm not doing anything. Oh so I ended up helping her with this installation, and you know, we got to know each other and stuff. Were you Which, already accepted at you Yale? No, I was, was... I was going to have an interview. Okay. So I, I told her you know, as we were working on this, mm-hmm. so I said, well, by the way, <laughs> just, oh, yeah, you have to go to the interview, because I was like, oh, I'm not sure, I don't have the money, you know, right. and it's like, she's like, you have to go to the interview, you won't get in, uh-huh. so she told me, and then when I went to the interview, I felt like I had a friend there, you know, right. like there was this room of people, and there's Winifred, you yeah. know, and she, you know, she liked my work, uh-huh. so that helped, you uh-huh. know, um, and I knew that my whole life in paper was different after that. You know, like she understood the craft of paper. Right. And, you know, I, I wasn't, I didn't know anything about sheet forming or anything. I was just kind of using it as a material. So she really opened my eyes about not just technically, but, you know, aesthetically. And, you know, she's just a really amazing person. And yeah. thinks about a lot of different yeah. things. Yeah. And so you were in the sculpture department? Mm-hmm. And were other people working with paper? No. <laughs> no. Okay. So again. Yeah. 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 It was not being done in the 1980s. Right. And uh, it was, um, you know, Yale sculpture. I mean, it's fairly traditional, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, and uh, there was some great work being done. I was kind of intimidated, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had Winifred as a friend, and she she was she's just a really great person and she's really connected to nature right right you know, she you know i mean i it was a little bit of a shock going to a place like yale because you know it's like ivy league and you know very academic and right i wasn't like that mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it was really different environment for me right yeah and so then what happened when after you graduated? So then I, another wonderful thing, um, Teresa Fairbanks was um, the head of conservation at Yale, and she had heard that there was a papermaker in the sculpture department, and she was teaching a conservation class, 
And I had a beater and a press. I had built a press. I had bought Douglas Morris Howell's beater number one. And oh. I didn't know that it was like this famous beater. I just wanted to be able to beat fiber. Right. So I had this whole mill set up in my sculpture studio. And I was making paper sculpture. And I used my loan to buy the beater. And, you know, mm-hmm. I was living in my studio because I didn't have enough money. And illegally, oh, I mean, you know. you had to live there? You yeah. You didn't have another place? No. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. I mean, I was doing... You know, I was just happy to be making art again and not waitressing. Right. And um, so she says, you know, I would love to bring my conservation class to visit you. Yeah. So they came, and I showed them around, and they made a sheet of paper. and She gave me $100, which I thought was great. I didn't expect anything. And then as she's leaving, she said, what are you going to do when you graduate? Kind of maternal. Uh-huh. And I said, well, I'm in love with this person who lives in Minneapolis, so probably, you know, she, if she hadn't written it down on a piece of paper, she took out her little paper, and she wrote down Minnesota Center for Book Arts, uh-huh. Jim Sitter, and then uh-huh. she handed it to me, and then she left. And so the next time I was there, I called Jim Sitter. He was operating MCBA out of his apartment uh-huh. in St. Paul. I mean, there was no building. Wow. There was nothing. It uh-huh. was just gym and a phone. Right. And uh, I said, well, I have a full paper making studio and I'm thinking about moving to Minneapolis. Uh, I've heard. And he was like, uh, we should have coffee. You know? Yeah. So it just, the timing was perfect. You know, they mm-hmm. were opening and they found a building and I had the expertise and the equipment and, and they didn't have any of that. So the rest is history. Okay, so you moved. They had their 30th anniversary just recently. Yeah, so that was 30 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So you moved to Minneapolis. You set up your Mm papermaking studio in the MCBA. For three years. For three years. Mm -hmm. And how did it function at first? Um, Students had access to the equipment during class time, Mm -hmm. and that's where I did my artwork. Uh Uh-huh. And that was fine for a while, but then when they started getting really popular... And I couldn't be there, and it was. Uh. And then I was also training all these people that were then volunteering. So I wasn't getting paid to do it anymore. In the beginning, I was getting paid. Okay. And it was like, uh, I think Bob and I need to buy a house. So we bought a house, uh-huh. and uh, I moved into the basement of my house. And I helped them buy their own equipment and sent them lists of what to buy and what the options were, and tried to help them. Right. Get the studio going. And right. we did all that. We got a beater donated. And, you know, it's been it's been better for them not to have my equipment, certainly. But I was a founder and um, the first artist in residence, and then later the first artistic director. So I have a long history with the Minnesota Right, Center for right. You're the first of a lot. So another another <laughs> thing first. is, well, well, I want to talk about uh, hand paper making magazines. So, so did that come with that, around then? It yeah. was um, the magazine, Michael Durgan, my best friend from childhood. And, you know, they, like all best friends, we were, like, friends for a while, and we didn't see each other for a while, and we were friends for a while. But our parents were friends, our mm-hmm. mothers particularly, the whole time uh-huh. that they lived in St. Louis. And um, so he uh, is really good with words. He was, you know, he was teaching literature at a prep school in New England, and... Um, I was passionate about paper, and he just said, well, maybe we should start a magazine, you know, and I said, well, paper making, you know, 
there's nothing like that. Mm -hmm. You know, if we were just so naive, you know, like if we had known anything about publishing or like office work or any of that stuff, we never would have done it. And you weren't living in the same place? No. Mm -mm. We never had lived in the same place. The whole time we collaborated on that, we always lived separate from each other. So we just would talk on the phone, and uh-huh. I kind of handled the visual aspect of the magazine, and he handled the words. Right. And we both went to conferences and met people. and I mean, he was the editor, but, you know, I, I got a lot of people to write things. Right, and, sure. You know, I mean, we just kind of both did it, you know. And then, so and I did just that. kind of, did you have a business plan at all? No. So, oh, God, But you no. knew it was going to be twice a year. Yeah, you kind of had some twice structure. A year. There was no newsletter at that time, uh-huh, uh-huh. and we knew it was going to have handmade paper in it. That was the one thing. Where right. Like, always some handmade paper. Right. And we didn't know anything about like getting, you know, printers or press checks or you know, we we, we the first person we just picked like the cheapest person, and they were like in Michigan, and we never uh-huh. like we lost a whole bunch of magazine. We never counted them when they came and. I mean, we just didn't know anything. We didn't and how know many? Anything. How did the subscribers work at the beginning? We just, I, he spent the morning every morning opening letters while I drank coffee, not looking at them, just opening them to wait while I woke up. You know, I just opened letters, and you know, we it was six fifty or something. It wasn't very expensive. Right. And so you know, we got a number of subscribers right off the bat. We used mailing lists like Fine Prints mailing list. Okay. Lee Scott McDonald's mailing list. And, you know, people thought it was a good idea. Yeah, and, uh, it was a good yeah, idea. So It's a great resource, yeah. boy. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I didn't get paid anything. Uh-huh. And neither did Michael. But Michael had a full-time government job. Right. And, uh, and I was always a little jealous of that. And I've, I still feel a little guilty about that. I mean, here he was pouring himself into this magazine, working harder on his day off on right. the magazine, and then he was working full time, and I was like, I don't have any money, and blah, blah, blah. I was kind of, you know, like, because he was making all this money at his government job, <laughs> and uh, so I did it for free for six years, mm-hmm. and I just decided I couldn't do that anymore, um, and um, so the magazine gave me like two thousand dollars a year for six years back mm-hmm. pay. Mm-hmm. You know, so that made me feel better about uh-huh. it. You know, uh-huh. so I think I got a check for twelve thousand dollars or something for six years of right. work, you know, uh-huh. which was great. You know, it was better than nothing. Right. And uh, and I was then later I went on the board of the magazine, and you know I was like thrilled that Tom Bannister was like a full time employee. Yeah, they, it's really grown you know, into a so organization. A real thing, yeah, so. yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. So. Um, and then you also founded Cave Paper. Yeah. So when was that? Yeah, I, um, after I, three years at Minnesota Center for Book Arts, uh-huh. um, uh, I moved into the basement of my house. But at the same time, um, Greg Campbell, who was on the board of Minnesota Center for Book Arts, he always had these sort of ideas of having not like a, public book art center, but more like um, people who um, were practicing. Mm -hmm. And so he had, uh, Beeler Press was in his building. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Michael Terrachow was in his building. There were a couple, uh, Les Metz, who taught type design. Oh, okay. So there was a bunch of letterpress printers in his building. He's two floors of a book bindery. Uh-huh. So he was like, oh, it would be cool to have a paper right. maker. Right. And so he just said, you can have the whole basement. I won't charge any rent for five years. Okay. So um, for a long time, I'm sure Bridget will talk about this, um, it w- basically before Bridget even got involved, um, I had decided to set up this 25-pound beater that I purchased. Elaine Koretsky had donated it to MCBA for the tax write-off, and then I bought it for $5,000 to MCBA. Uh-huh. And it was sitting in Greg's basement. And so my ex-husband, Bob Hughes, and I, um, we, you know, set, we completely rehabbed the beater. We put it on, you know, a metal stand. We got all ready, mm-hmm. which was, we didn't know what we were doing. It took like eight months, yeah, you know, sure. on weekends or whatever. Right. And um, so, and then, and I, and I had taught Bridget how to make paper. She was an intern at Minnesota Center for this Book Arts. This is Bridget O'Malley. Bridget mm-hmm. O'Malley, yeah. When she, um, she was a student at St. Kate's in printmaking. And she was an exceptional intern. Uh-huh. And so we became friends. And we're like, well, let's try selling some books. So we did some marbling. We sold some books. They weren't very good. But, uh-huh. you know, we were kind of in business together in a small way. And then she went off to do great things, work with Tim Barrett at the University of Iowa and all this stuff. So I said, well, if, you know, if you try to get a job, and if you can't get a job, <laughs> come back here and we'll right. like, work together. And I think we even have, still have the letter that says we're paying ourselves like $2 an hour or something, uh-huh. you know. But it was like we didn't, you know, we were just starting. So right. we didn't, weren't getting paid really. Right. And, um, so she brought all that expertise from working with Tim in production. Mm-hmm. And I was more, um, I had done a lot of work at Minnesota Center for Book Arts doing color matching and making paper for printers, you know, because it was just, it was all in one space and people wanted to try printing on handmade paper, students and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I just... You know, the combination of the two of us was, a, you know, we, we work very well together. We don't always agree with each other, but we work well together. Right. So give an overview of what Cave Paper is. So Cave Paper is a production paper mill, and we're in our 21st year. Been in the same location 21 years in yeah. Greg Campbell's Campbell Logan Bindery building. He now charges us rent, but, you know, yeah. not much. Yeah. And, uh... And we do a line of papers that are, you know, they're very strong, they're dark. They're mostly made from flax. We have two cotton papers. And um, people use them a lot for book covers. That's kind of, seems to be the most, mostly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We have a line of papers, and then about 30% of our work is custom paper. And we're very proud of our internship program. Mm -hmm. We're both teachers. And um, so we share, we have no trade secrets. We share, you know, our whole process with them. We pay a stipend, not in cash, but in paper, materials, studio time. So people come really from all over, mostly all over the country, but we've had some foreigners come. And they, we open our studio to them, and there are not very many people that do that. 
So right. they come and they jump right in to whatever we're doing. And we, you know, frankly, we probably couldn't have done it without the interns. We have, we've had over 100 interns. And is that only in the summer, or do you have we, them year-round? We, we say it's only in the summer, but that Sometimes. kind of extends yeah. depending on the person. We've had Bennington students in January and February almost every year okay. because that's their time. Right. But the reason we say that is because there's no heat. Right. So we've been operating for 21 years in a freezing cold environment. Uh-huh. Wow. And it's pretty tough. It's great for the paper, but it's tough for the paper makers. Right. Right. And you have, how long have you had, you have a full-time employee or part-time? Uh, James has been with us for four years, mm-hmm. and he's part-time, okay. 20 hours a week. Okay. And he is fabulous. He came as an intern, and he... We hired him to work on our machinery because the mm-hmm. beater was down and he like took it apart and cleaned it and put it back together again and we were like, keep this guy, yeah. this guy's amazing. And he's, he's a really good artist and he's embraced um, the craft of making paper molds mm-hmm. and he went and worked with Tim Moore mm. and Tim has really like wants to help him right. do it right. and he like let him borrow or sort of have his old weaving thing. So he's he's actually making handmade paper molds oh. in the style of Tim Moore. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Wow. So he, I think between the cave and the mold making, he's really committed to, to this. Right, know? And right. he's 24, 25, something like that. So he's a young person. Does he have a... Just because that's interesting... Um, does he make molds for other people? Yeah. That's does he have what he a does. business name? No. Or does he just he do it through the cave, yeah, kind of? He that's will. how you contact him. He'll have okay. a business name. Right. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about your sculpture because that's where you started, and I know you're still making work and you're making collages. Just tell me about mm-hmm. where your artwork has sure. taken you. Um, well, um, I'm really interested in. Uh, life, death, and regeneration, mm-hmm. and the kind of the cycles of life. And so it tends to be loosely about that, uh-huh. but it could be about anything. So, um, like, that one's on the left is called Containment and Regeneration, and it's a 15-foot house structure made from bamboo, which is dead bamboo lashed together. Mm-hmm. And then there's live bamboo growing in it, uh, right. And then every day I put an ice block with seeds impregnated in it. And as the ice melts, the seeds let go. And there's all this bamboo there, and it's like a, a musical instrument as it drops. Oh, the, uh-huh. the seeds drop, and they make a very subtle sound. And then the, the whole, because it's cast in handmade paper, it's, it holds light in a really beautiful right. way. Right, right. And so, you know, that's, um, you know, that, that I do kind of one big sculpture a year. And then if I do two, that's great, but I'm happy with doing one. Uh-huh. And then Seed Spirit Plant Earth is um, like a big teepee form. And then, and their panels, their, in, their collages really, each panel is like a collage. And as you, the seed, I made, pa- it took me two years to make the paper for that sculpture. 
Wow. So I made a sheet, I threw seeds in it, I made another sheet, so the seeds are in it. Mm-hmm. For the seed panels, the earth panels are these circles, indigo dyed circles. The plant ones have embedded kozo in them that I colored, you know, green so that you can really see the difference mm-hmm. between. And then the, the spirit panels, each collage is unique, like each person's spirit is unique. So it's it's a repeating pattern, seed, spirit, earth, plant, earth, seed, spirit, okay. plant, earth, yeah. as you go around the sculpture. And it goes, it goes from four foot by four foot panels at the bottom to, you know, like four inch by four inch panels at the top. So it's kind of this, like a big skyscraper, you know, how it gets smaller. So it's kind of this perspective thing. Right, and you can actually walk inside you walk of inside it or it, around yeah, it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's two stories, so you mm-hmm. can see it from the second floor. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Another thing I just was reminded of, or you were talking about the seeds, I was thinking about Allison Knowles, mm-hmm. who work with seeds. And anyways, you've collaborated with a yeah, lot of she's artists. Come, she's come eight times to the cave. It's uh-huh. sort of a, a well-kept secret in a uh-huh. way. Like, she sometimes she comes and she's real public, like she does something at the walker and blah, blah, blah. But... She, I mean, I have made a ton of Allison, worked with Allison a lot, like eight times, because it's so much cheaper for her to fly from New York. You know, uh-huh. we only charge, like, half a day is 300 you know, like $300 a day, so half a day is, like, $150 right. compared to New York prices. And she stays with me, and we have fun. And, right. You know. And, mean, but it seems like something you're really good at, just from our other conversations, uh figuring out technically how sure. to help someone. Yeah, I think and, I'm better at making Allison's work than she is, actually. You know, uh-huh. like, I mean, she comes, she says, well, I'm thinking about this, and, like, before you know it, I've got 12 Allison Knowles pieces made, you know. And, and I mean, I joke about that, but, like, she literally will call me up and say, can you send a bean turner to the gallery? And I'm like, yeah, I can, you know. And uh-huh. she doesn't even come anymore. I just send the gallery a bean turner, you know. And as long as I get the check, I'm okay with that. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, what, what are you working on now in terms of your own artwork? Well, um, surprisingly, I've gotten interested in the figure, mm-hmm. um, which you know I never thought I would. I'm, more of my previous work is um, architectural, right. architecture and nature combination. And um, been studying Chinese medicine and the the nature of man uh, and the different ways that we become unbalanced mm-hmm. in our own system. Mm-hmm. So um, this uh, actually is a life size figure of a person, and in inside of here are three hundred and fifty six magnets. So each point um, on there's there's meridians, and then each magnet represents a point, and it's kind of a game. Uh-huh. So each meridian has a different color, and you take there's um, game pieces that have a magnet on it as well. Okay. And so you can actually play. You know, you can put the right magnet on the right meridian. Uh, so we'll see this in, in the, the little video, video yeah. but this is a, f- a a pulp painting of a figure yeah. on a, on a table with light illuminating it from underneath. 
and the magnets are embedded in yeah, the paper? In the paper. Mm -hmm. Cool, yeah. Yeah, so these are some of the first, I just kind of was figuring out how, like, that doesn't have any magnets in it. Right. This has magnets in it. Uh-huh. I have another larger one here that um, I think is actually more successful, but I had some problems with the light. Uh, yeah. Um, so what happened is the, it wasn't a cold light, mm -hmm. so the magnets heated up and started burning the paper. Oh, when you just had it over light? Is that what yeah, you're but about? it wasn't. It, it, was, it was a hot light. Yeah. Got it. So and it was I'm, contained or yeah. something. Oh, so, interesting. Yeah. So I have to rethink that. Yeah. 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 Um, but I like this image. Yeah. Much. I think it's a strong image. And Fantastic. I, you know, there's all these. This is the gallbladder ring. And it, it's helping me remember the meridians, too, because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I'm studying Chinese medicine. Um, so. Cool. Yeah. Um, well, well, let's just end up with um, where paper has taken you, because I think you've traveled quite a bit. Yeah. I have been lucky enough. I've been to Asia eight times. Uh -huh. I've only paid for it twice, uh -huh. <laughs> which is, I just got back from Nepal, and I just went to visit my daughter, who's living there, right. so I didn't pay for that. Uh-huh. Um, but... Um, I get invited. People seem to think I have something to say. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I teach and I lecture and, you know, I, I like working with people and I don't find language to be a barrier, even though I don't speak other languages. Uh -huh. I think art is a universal right. language. Right. And it always works out somehow. Yeah. And, uh, and I've been able to bring people here from other countries. Mm -hmm. So we have Lu Jingren coming, who is a very famous Chinese book designer. Uh -huh. And I met him in China, and he's going to be the keynote speaker at Codex, which is a great book conference. Yeah. And I was able to help make that happen. Cool. So it's just great to go out and meet people. And, you know, I'm a representative of my country. and Right. And, you know, the paper field. And, yeah. You know, I think... I, what's unusual about me, which is what they're interested in, is that I'm a craftsperson mm -hmm. and I'm an artist. Mm -hmm. Right. And in Asia in particular, people make paper uh -huh. or they make art. Right. But they don't really, they're Too starting close. to learn about that. They uh -huh. see stuff on the internet and they're interested, very interested in that. In fact, I just set up a paper studio at Tsinghua University, which is sort of the Harvard of China. Uh -huh. And it's... Um, you know, they're just paper art. Wow, you know. I mean, it just makes sense for the Chinese to embrace that. But usually you buy paper and you print on it, or you buy paper and you paint on it. So it's it's a new idea right. for them. Right. And so now this book design program has a paper studio where mm. people can make paper mm -hmm. art. And the Chinese are doing amazing things when mm -hmm. they start doing that. It's mm -hmm. going to be fabulous mm -hmm. what they bring to that. So the country where paper I was know, first made. But this he, American goes yeah. <laughs> over and teaches paper making in China. You know, I mean, it's bizarre, but it's wonderful. Right, but you've been involved with paper almost since the beginning in this country. So yeah. it makes no, it's sense. it's good. It's good. And they respect, circle. you know, older people here in this country. As you get older, it's like, oh, you know, you know. But yeah. there, it's like, oh, my God, you're 58. It's wonderful. You yeah. Like, so the older you get, the more you have to offer. It's right. their attitude. Right. So. So it's been nice to go over there and work with them. Mm -hmm.
Okay, well, thank you very sure. much, Amanda. Thank it was you. great to be here. And um, we'll see you next time. <laughs>